Hey, Eden Chapel family, this is Pastor Kirby from Mount Olive Baptist Church, and I have been given the privilege and an invitation to share with you a devotional today from Exodus chapters 33 through 35. And so I'm going to say just a quick word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into God's word together. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day and for the opportunity to open your word together. Lord, as you know, I love this prayer that I read somewhere, and I can't even remember where now. Uh, But we would just ask that today you would open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts, that we would uh, see you, uh, God, that we would behold your glory and that we would be transformed by it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's so good to have you guys uh, with me this morning or this afternoon or this evening or whenever you're actually listening to this podcast. But as we look at Exodus 33, chapters 33 through 35, just a couple of opening questions here is I just want to remind you of where we're at in salvation history and what sort of book this is. Uh, remember, we're in a book of the law. So the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Jewish canon, uh, this is a book of it's considered a book of the law, but it's interesting if you actually look at the genre of it. You've got narrative sections. You've got like stories that are woven in. You've got the re- revealing of God's law, and you've also got a lot of Israelite history. In fact, some of the things that we're going to be looking at and some of the things contained in the book of Exodus specifically um, related to uh, God's deliverance of his people from Egypt will shape uh, a majority of the Old Testament prophets and the writings, and the book of the law. So this is really important stuff. Um, We're going to open, if if you think about what you've already looked at in terms of where you've already been in Exodus, you know, we, the book opens with kind of the, the, I don't know, prologue, the kind of continuing saga of Joseph's family. Uh, They, they, and all his brothers have gone down into Egypt, Israel, and all his brothers have gone down and, or his sons have gone down to Egypt. Um, but they've all died now and the population has continued to explode. Um, and then we learn rather quickly that a, a new Pharaoh comes into power and the people of Israel are enslaved. And, and the big event, again, of this book is, is God's delivering his people uh, from that slavery and, and, and really uh, doing so and then consequently instituting the Passover Um So those are just some things to highlight for you about this particular book. Also, just note that several events in the book of Exodus, I think, point to Jesus. There's a strong Christ connection in this book. It is typological in nature, and by that I mean there's certain actions, certain um, uh, people, and certain events that are meant to point us forward to Jesus and how Jesus fulfills it in an even greater way. So... Just previous to our passage, just previous to Exodus chapter 33, you have what I like to call the golden calf incident in Exodus 32, where uh, Moses has been gone from the people for a while, and um, they decide, you know, hey, uh, we want a God that we can worship, and so the Bible says that they rose up to play, having all sorts of just uh, sexual orgies and different things going on is the implication there. And uh, Aaron fashions this golden calf where he says, hey, Moses, when he gets down, he says, I just threw all this gold in the fire and out popped this calf, which is the most ridiculous excuse and thing I've ever heard. But that's what he does. And so um, that's kind of the, the context of what has happened when Moses hears this is going on up on the mountain. He comes down, smashes the tablets, um, and then there's a plague on the people. And he actually commands the Levites who kind of align themselves with him to go around and start executing people that had committed this sin. And so that's the background for the chapters that we're getting into. So Exodus 33, and I've kind of grouped this around big moments that happen. If you look at just the first six verses, the Lord actually commands the people to go ahead. He says, go, set out from, uh, depart from here 
and the people whom you have brought with you out of the land of Egypt. He commands them to go into the promised land. But if you look carefully at the wording of those first six verses, God refuses to go with them. And it's interesting because the response of the people is to mourn. Verse four calls this, this idea that, that God is not going to go with his people. They call it a disastrous word. And I think one of the things that this kind of enraptures my attention is that it shows us the importance in Old Testament Israel. And I think it's an importance that we should focus on today of having God's presence with his people. Uh, there is nothing more important than being in the presence of a God on of God on a regular basis through corporate worship, through prayer, through meditating on his word. But when, when Israel, when Old Testament Israel is told, I'm not going to go with you, they are devastated. And then there's this really weird kind of change in subject. The ESV has this superscription, this title said the tent of meeting. So they've just been delivered this disastrous word. And then Moses writes about this tent of meeting, which the idea is like, it's this separate place from the camp where Moses would go down kind of like a, a forerunner, maybe to the tabernacle and meet with the Lord. And it highlights God, the importance of God's presence, because whenever Moses would enter this tent, all the families would stand. And when he went in, they would worship and they would stop worshiping when he came out. Um, I'll also point out to you, if you look at Exodus 33, verse 11, that Moses has this really unique relationship with God. Verse 11 says, thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Um, this is probably figurative language in the sense that Moses had such a uh, close relationship with the Lord, such an intimate walk that um, they were just inseparable, you know, like they were just super, super close. He had the type of relationship that I think all of us want with the Lord. And um, it just highlights, again, not only is his presence important in the corporate body, but being in the presence of the Lord on a regular basis is, is important to us as as individuals. So after kind of giving that little worship snippet on how they conducted worship there at Sinai, then all of a sudden the story kind of picks back up with this disastrous word and Moses begins to try to intercede and petition God to still go with Israel uh, as they left from that area. And Moses asks God to show him his ways. He even, if you look closely, I believe it is in, um, in, in verse, uh, let me look here. Yeah, verse 18 of chapter 33, he says, please show me your glory. And and the really neat thing is that God says he's going to do that. In fact, he says in verse, um, in verse 19, which is the response, it says, and he said, I will make all my goodness to pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so it's, it's really interesting. So God is getting ready to answer this amazing petition of Moses where he, he reveals himself. God the Father reveals himself to Moses. We call that a theophany. And if you look in verse 19 that I just read you, we learn a lot about God's identity. First, he says, I'm going to make my goodness pass by you. This is a, a good God that Moses, Moses worships. And in fact, the language here of passing by is the same language that will end up being used by Jesus in one of his water crossing accounts when the disciples are on a boat. And the text says in the New Testament, and Jesus was walking on the water and he meant to pass them by. 
that harkens back to this particular passage. Jesus wasn't just walking on the water to say, look what I can do. When he says that he was passing them by, the idea is to say, it's not that I can do cool things. It's that I am God. I am Yahweh. I am, you know, the, the God of our fathers. And so it was a very powerful moment. So he is a God that makes his goodness pass by. He's gracious. If you'll notice in verse 19, it doesn't say that he uh, gives grace to everyone. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. So he extends sovereign mercy to those whom he chooses, which is impressive. And then it's interesting if you look, <laughs> and I've never really understood this. This is very interesting. In verse 22, he talks about his glory passing by Moses. Uh, and then I will take away my hand in verse 23 and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. That's a big mystery because we do, we know that God the Father does not have a body, Um we don't believe in, in Mormonism, but there's something special that happens there. I don't know if that's a Christophany and, and he's seeing the back of Jesus. I don't think that's it. I think the implication is that he's just seeing some sort of amazing manifestation of God. And uh, it, it goes on to explain his closeness. So that is the kind of the big events of chapter 33. In 34, in verses 1 through 9, after asking for this theophany, then it actually happens. So 34 opens with God basically commanding Moses to make a new set of the Decalogue, another copy of the Ten Commandments, or in Hebrew, the Ten Words. And so he does that. And then after that, the key part, and this is so cool, is what happens in verses 6 and 7. Moses writes about this moment that God passes by him. Verse 6 says, The Lord passed before me, or before him, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And then Moses responds in worship. Who is this God that we worship in the Bible? And and that is God's revelation to Moses and I think to you and I, that he is a God that's abounding in steadfast love, but he takes sin seriously and he is a just God and he will punish sin and 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 he does so in 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 all sorts of different ways but chiefly for those of us that believe in Jesus he punishes our sin um at the cross when Christ bears our sin um there's other things that happen in chapter 34 the covenant is is renewed uh, there's a promise that is is God is going to continue to make and say, hey, listen, I am going to take you guys into the promised land. And he always does that by saying, you know, hey, I'm going to drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, this standard group of people. He says, I'm going to I'm going to cast them out before you. He kind of resummarizes and highlights some of the law, and then he restates the Passover. And then in verse 30, um, we get another interesting account of just how close Moses was to God. Um, whenever Moses would, would come down from the mountain in verses 29 and 30, he didn't know that his face was shining. Um, and this is really interesting because there's a, there's some old Renaissance art that have sculptures of Moses where Moses actually has horns coming out of his head because of a mistake in a translation here. They used to think that Moses had horns, but then they dug into the scriptures more and were like, Oh no, it's that his face was shining. So if you ever see a statue of Moses with horns, that's where that's from. But uh, this this Shekinah glory, I, I guess, of of God is reflecting off the face of Moses, and so um, 
eventually he has to veil his face because this glory terrified people uh, because I think it's reflected holiness coming from God himself. In chapter 35, it opens with some Sabbath regulations. Um, and it's always really funny because when it talks about, hey, you don't even kindle a fire on, on, on the Sabbath. And if anybody breaks the Sabbath, you should kill them. And to us, I think today, we think that sounds kind of extreme, but I would argue to you, not that we need to go around killing Sabbath breakers, that would be kind of awkward, but that we do need to really look at the importance of Sabbath rest, why God himself rested on the seventh day of creation, and what pattern he was laying down for us and how important it might be in our lives. Now, uh, there's also some, some descriptions of supplies gathering and construction of the tabernacle. But I want to end today on, on just asking, what's the Christ connection of this passage? Um, what's, what's the sin that's being preached against in this text? And I think it really is this. There's idolatry all over the place, kind of in the context. And that's why, that's why Moses is, is writing some of this stuff down. And there is also just the importance of God's presence and the importance of intercession and atonement. Uh, Moses tries to, to, to come before the Lord. And, and he does and say, Lord, please forgive these people. And he does, but they turn around and sin again, and again, and again, just like you and I. And so there's no way that Moses can solve the sin equation, but it would take one that would be a prophet like Moses that the old Testament prof- prophesies about that Moses himself wrote about who could finally solve the sin equation once and for all. And so when you look at things like the Passover and you look at things like uh, sacrifices that are established in uh, Exodus, we know that those things point us to Jesus, who would be our exalted sin bearer, who would take our sin debt, he would pay for it, and thereby give us access to God. And we are so gracious for that. God bless you, Eden Chapel family. I hope you guys are having a wonderful week. And I look forward to worshiping with you guys again sometime soon. God bless you.